welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host and someone who always stands by for trouble, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? Arr, Andy. It's been many a year at sea, <laughs> but I'm glad to finally be back with ye and G podcast. Amen. I'm going to do okay. the whole episode. <laughs> Oh, God, this way. Please don't. Okay. Uh, what movie are we doing today, Larry? We'll be doing Treasure <laughs> Island from 1950. Okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> okay. Cool. This is I mean, you, you can. this is the, you know, 1950 Treasure Island with Bobby Driscoll. This is, there are no Muppets in this one. It does not take no. place in space. We, we are talking as close <laughs> to the source material as Disney has gotten. Yes, yes. Well, some key facts. And I, I'm going to ask your forgiveness, listener, uh, on the front end. If I get into the weeds a bit here, my research this week was this is the I found more jewels in this than uh, research than I have found in any other show that we've done. Wow. So uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun for me. So hopefully it translates well for all of you. Uh, so this movie was made in England in 1949. It's still considered by many to be the best adaptation of Treasure Island, mainly because of Robert Newton's portrayal of Long John Silver. Um, I think Newton really sets the bar for the way pirates talk in film, as is evidenced by Larry. <laughs> you don't know how much I do really do want to do the podcast that way. I won't. You should totally. No, no, no. No, no, no. Okay, okay. Um, so, but yeah, Newton sets the bar for pirates, for pirate talk. And um, he, the director wound him up and let him go and we've got this great performance um so why was this movie made at the time in 1949 money made in cinema in england had to be spent in england and both disney and rko had assets frozen from film revenues there so the problem walt disney has in in 1950 is that he's as American as American can be, right? And he needs to create content that's going to appeal to both American and British audiences while spending the funds in Great Britain. So the decision was made to use a British location to tell a British story that would appeal globally. Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island fit the bill. Uh, Disney had purchased the rights to Treasure Island from... MGM uh, several years before and in fully intending to animate, but they decided that with the arc, with the money that was there and with RKO, it was a good venture. About 80 to 90% of the movie was funded with Disney and RKO frozen revenues. And the initial budget for the movie was about 1.8 million. It brought in 4.1 million at the box office, which was close to 50 million in 2022 dollars. Which then leads to more pounds being frozen in England. Wow. And more English stories being sought by Disney. <laughs> just just like an Who's endless that? cycle. <laughs> That's, That's right. some pretty That's brilliant right. legislation, England. Well, well done. <laughs> the marketing for this movie was absolutely genius. Children could find a cardboard key in the local newspaper, take it to a local retailer, and open a treasure chest with it. And the company gave away about a quarter million dollars 
in prizes and about 300 businesses in 40 cities took part. Wow. That would work on me as a kid. I would be so excited. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I think, you know, there are no iPhones, there's no apps, there's no instant gratification. There's something that comes in the newspaper and you clamor to take your mother to the store where there might be a free movie ticket inside, right? How exciting. Um, all of the actors in this movie are British, save Bobby Driscoll, who's an American. And this creates a huge production problem. Driscoll is 12 years old, and a British court ruled it was illegal for Driscoll to work in the country because he didn't have a permit as a foreigner, and he's underage. Disney Studios appealed, and during the appeal process, they rearranged Driscoll's entire, well, the entire shooting schedule for the film was rearranged. And Driscoll's sequences were wrapped before the final appeal came down. And it was still illegal. Oh, wow. <laughs> to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> fair, fair enough. And yet, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. It's done. Um, they find everybody 100 pounds. So they find the Disney Studios 100 pounds, Driscoll 100 pounds, and Driscoll's father 100 pounds. So <laughs> I guess that was just the cost of doing business. Yeah. Huh? So the ship was an actual schooner. It was built in 1887, and RKO purchased it for this movie. The name of the ship is the Rylands. Okay. Uh, and it was used later in the 1956 adaptation of film adaptation of Moby Dick. And then there was also a swashbuckling TV series called The Buccaneers in about 1956 or 57. It's good when you see that ships go on. You know, they get the right agents, they get their, they take, turn down some roles, <laughs> take on others, and really build up a That's career right. in show business. That's right. Um, so, if you saw this movie in theaters in the 1970s, there's a shot of Jim Hawkins killing a pirate at Point Blank Range. That is not in that movie. I am okay, so surprised the when I saw the when I saw Jim shoot a pirate. I was like, "Wait!" <laughs> I I I was Did like, "I happen? don't remember that." <laughs> right, right, and that seems to be something you would remember. So, and then this version, this theatrical version, was part of the home video release. So, when you watch the scene in the Disney Plus version, you're getting the whole enchilada, the extra nine minutes. Disney had a G rating only policy in the 1970s. And so nine minutes of this film had to be cut. Now, now um, I want to see a scene release. between Jim Hawkins and Mother Robinson from Swiss Family Robinson. They're in the same support group <laughs> talking about how circumstances forced them to kill pirates. Um, I think they I think they would have a lot to say to each other. Get get each other through it. That would be great. I, I do. Now, this film, of course, is an adaptation. Um by Robert Louis, uh, the novel by Robert Louis Stevenson. It was originally entitled The Sea Cook, A Story for Boys. Yeah, new title better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stevenson crafted the novel from stories he found in Captain Charles Johnson's A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. Charles Johnson was a pen name, and while some scholars believe this book to serve as primary source material for known pirate biographies from the time period, 
Others question the validity. So may not be completely accurate. Oh, and I thought there this is. was a documentary. <laughs> so the initial general history of pirates includes an inscription that says, with the remarkable actions and adventures of the two female pirates, Mary Reed and Anne Bonney. So if you like pirates, these two women are definitely worth your time. Now, you're not going to find Mary or Anne in the Robert Louis Stevenson tales, and you're not going to find them in this Disney adaptation. Um, there are no women in this film at all. Uh, this is a world without yeah. women. This is a world... Yes. Like, there is one woman who is referenced, but by and large, like, like there's only one gender, and it's men. That's it. Right. Uh it's weird. It's weird to me. It is. It is very weird. Um, so an maritime historian, David Cordingly, uh, in his works, busts the myth of most of what we think we know about pirates today. He claims that buried plunder is a myth, that pirates really didn't drink that much rum, and that most of them were devoted family men. Uh, pirate ships were the original republics where captains were elected by crew Crews tended to be less divided by class and racial differences, and any money captured was shared and shared a lot. Yeah, I'm going to throw out that the pirate economic strategy of where we steal treasure, we bury it on an island for years, and then come back and claim it has never made sense to me. It is just not, it is just not a good economic strategy. I'm sorry. Um, you know... Like, who is the CFO on these ships? All right, well, then let's get into the plot of this. And the plot on this is going to be a little bit complicated. Uh, but let's start with the Manish Tana. We always ask, why does this movie begin where it begins? And man, this is a movie that I I feel like I'm missing something. The movie starts so suddenly. We have a figure who like, looks like a pirate, and if there's any part of you who feels bad for judging him based on his appearance, it will turn out that he is, in fact, a pirate. Going into an inn, we have no idea who this character is. We have no idea what this inn is. Uh, he goes in there, and he meets a young Jim Hawkins. And mm -hmm. I feel like, and I don't know if you felt this way also, Andy, we are starting this movie with a sprint. And I am racing after it to catch up. Yes. I We often talk about how the movie in, in these films that takes forever to get to the inciting incident. Sometimes we've talked about how the inciting incident happens in the middle of the film, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's not, not so the case here. We are off and running, as you say. Uh, so, so rather, so I am, I, my question really is, you know, why do we begin this movie here? Because what's going to happen, and I need to, to move into just the exposition a little bit. This pirate's going to come in. He's looking for someone named Billy Bones. He finds a young 12-year-old boy named Jim Hawkins and says, where's Billy Bones? Jim Hawkins says, I don't know a Billy Bones. Uh, and and then, the, then the, the pirate guy sees a suitcase that says William Bones on it. By the way, fugitive pirates listening to this podcast, if you are trying to escape your crew, okay, like your, your former crewmates, 
do not indulge in monogrammed luggage. Okay? It's just a bad call when you're trying for a low-profile situation. If you're living a life in hiding, you know, change your name. Okay, sorry, moving forward. Um, And for me, there's a bunch of things that I feel like should be in this movie before we even get to this point. And one of the, uh, you know, traditionally, and it's been a while since I've read Treasure Island, I believe the story begins with Billy Bones and young Jim Hawkins having a conversation. Billy Bones is telling Jim Hawkins, uh, you know, stories of of the sea, uh, goes upstairs, and then a pirate comes in looking for Billy Bones. And we get a sense, we get a sense of a relationship before we start the plot immediately. And Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know who Jim is yet, I don't know, even know if he's lying about Billy Bones yet. Uh, I feel like this movie comes in just a little bit too soon. I don't need 10 minutes before we get here. But I do need, I think, 90 seconds, maybe? Two minutes? Yeah. Just... Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting choice. In the book... Jim and his mother take care of Billy and Billy dies and the two of them find the map among his things. Right. Um, I think it's more dramatic to have Billy clearly want to get better so that he can go find this treasure. But then he almost selfishly gives the map to Jim because he knows that black dog and those pirates are coming after him so if he gives it to Jim, well, they won't find it on me, right? Um, the re- the clue to the relationship that we have is Dr. Livesey said you'll die if you drink this. Rum. Yes. So it's clear that Jim is caring for Billy. He does lie to Black Dog. He doesn't know who Billy Bones is. It's subtle. But then when Black Dog leaves, we hear Jim... And there's Billy, so, right? So you've moved us into exposition a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's right. I, I I do feel like the reason that we start where we start is to avoid hiring a woman on this movie. Uh, that the person we would need to get to know Jim a little bit better is Jim's mother. We don't want to see Jim's mother. Or, or the movie thinks we don't want to see Jim's mother. I would like to see Jim's mm-hmm. mother. Uh, but... And then we move into exposition. And you're right. All of that stuff absolutely happens. Um, it's it's just, I feel like this movie, it gets better from here on in. But it is, it is, des- it is desperate to get us st- straight to the action and, and put Jim Hawkins in danger almost immediately. So if Jim finds the map, then Jim is the adventurer, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this movie wants us to not think of Jim so much as an adventurer, but as a child who is taken along on a voyage, who has more of a coming of age story. I I think Does that, that makes sense? no. Well, I I think you know if you want to posit that this entire story of Treasure Island is one long protracted bar mitzvah uh, where. Where Jim Hawkins comes of age, I I think you're right. Um, my my point really is, this movie begins us with an inciting incident 
rather than beginning with us with an exposition proper. Uh, his okay. life is immediately disrupted when pirates come into his house looking for a treasure map. And that sets him off, you know, when he gets the map, he's got to bring it to, to somebody else, uh, and that's going to set off a series of chain reactions that get him on that ship, get him to Treasure Island. Uh, but, but exposition, I think, is needed. And there are just some details about Jim's life that we have not gotten, one of which I'll talk about a little bit more when we, when we talk about Jim and Long John Silver uh, a little bit. Uh, but I'll move us forward a little bit through plot, if that's okay. I will say, I, yeah, I just want to say one thing. I think that this film does work with more modern sensibilities, because oftentimes in movies today, where I have, what, 60 seconds to hook an audience, mm -hmm. um, getting that inciting incident in there early, sometimes that happens, where we'll see an inciting incident quick, and then we take a break almost a pot, you know, to get through some exposition. So it's interesting to me that that movie, this movie in this made in this time frame, makes that choice. Yes, agreed. All right, I'm going to move us through plot. So Jim gets the map from Billy Bones and Billy Bones dies. He brings the map to Squire Trelawney and Dr. Livesey, 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 thank you. I'm reading it. Uh, Dr. Livesey. Uh, they immediately authenticate the map as being of value. And Squire Trelawney, who wants to have an adventure, I think wants to have an adventure more than he wants to find the treasure, says, we are going on this journey. We are going to go get that treasure. What an adventure it will be. And he promises uh, Jim that Jim will share as an equal partner. This leads Squire and uh, the doctor to hire Captain Smollett to crew a ship. Uh, despite the fact that Captain Smollett wants to hire, uh, do a lot of background checks, make sure that he's got like a really tight crew, uh, Squire Trelawney takes it upon himself to hire Long John Silver as a cook. Um, Long John Silver, who is, is pretty much wearing a t-shirt, ask me about my secret pirate life. Um, but, but what have you, uh, uh, hires Long John Silver. And what's interesting here is Long John in his role as cook immediately bonds with Jim. And it's not really quite clear why that bond is forming necessarily, but, but it's, but it's happening and we don't know. And, and it is arguably the most important relationship of this entire movie. I would say it is. Um, Long John gives gives um, gives Jim a gun uh, and says, keep it secret, keep it hidden. Uh, basically, uh, tries, to, tries to treat Jim in the way an, an adult might try to make a child feel like another adult. Jim is like, I let... Long John is like, let me usher you into manhood a little bit. Let me tell you how it is. He, he takes on a mentorship role with Jim going through this. They get on the ship, uh, and there's an immediate tension between Captain Smollett and the rest of the crew. Captain Smollett is no nonsense, uh, and Long John and his, his crew have plenty of nonsense. Uh, and 
It isn't long before we realize there's going to be a mutiny on this ship. That, in fact, Long John has filled the ship with pirates, and the plan is for them to take the gold and the ship, and, you know, bad things will happen to most of our protagonists. So that is all rising action. In fact, Long John does uh, lead a mutiny. Uh, we get a series of episodes, and I don't really want to unpack them too much, but it is an ongoing power struggle between Long John and Captain Smollett, uh, the squire, and the doctor. Uh, you know, one makes a plan and the other makes a counter plan, and then it's it's a back and it, both both. Uh, what I think is very realistic about this, Long John does not have a 27-step plan to get the treasure. What he does is right. uh, he is constantly reassessing the situation and making a counter plan. And Squire and the captain are also reassessing the situation and making a counter plan. But the person who is most important to both of these plans is Jim. Jim right. it, like is at the heart and soul of this. There is not not because of destiny. There's just Jim has access to Long John and Jim has access to to the captain and because of that he's constantly where the action is and he's constantly in a situation where his contribution makes the difference. Uh the other thing that happens while they're on the island is they meet Ben Gunn who was exiled onto the uh, marooned on the island uh, by Captain Flint and has gone a little mad over over the years. I would say not not incredibly so to the point where he doesn't he doesn't make sense. But a lot of the trappings of civilization have fallen away from him, shall we say? Right. right. Andy, this movie is headed towards a climax. What do you think the climax of this movie is? Well, throughout the movie, and as you as you mentioned, the the relationship between Long John and Billy, or not Jim. Billy, sorry, that Long John and Jim are is so um, it's so inter it's an interesting dance. So <clears throat> I would say the climax is really at the pretty close to the end. Yeah, where Jim uh, tries to foil Long John's plan. By running the ship or the the boat above the, on the shore, uh, Long John pulls a gun on him. Long John can't kill him, and he just can't bring himself to do it. And Jim uh, actually puts the boat back in the water. Right. So, um, and and this is this kind of dance has been happening throughout the movie. So they get one last moment. So they're even. Yeah, I, I'm going to throw out to you. There are two climaxes, and you're focused on the emotional one, which I think is the more important mm -hmm. one. There is the big final fight between pirates and 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 our our crew uh, of heroes. Uh, that would be the big battle, but it is not. There have been battles with the pirates this whole movie. It doesn't. Right. It, it's the last one, but it doesn't feel like the stakes have gotten as high as they possibly can. The real dramatic question is, what kind of man does Jim want to be? Because Long John will take Jim with him, and Jim can be a pirate. Uh, and in fact, that would be, look, 
you're a 12-year-old boy on a rowboat with a pirate, and the pirate says, I'll kill you if you don't come with me, come with me. Um, you know, even if Jim didn't want to become a pirate, he, you know, might might have gone along to get along a little bit here. But in fact, what makes him ushered into adulthood here is the fact that Jim at 12 years old says, I know the difference between right and wrong. And if you're if you're going to kill me for it, I guess that's what's going to happen. I'm going to do the right thing here. And what's also in Jim's willing to die for his principles, right? Which is which is what this movie posits an adult is. An adult is a person who makes decisions based on their code. Like that that, that basically right. is it. Do you have a code or do you not have a code? Um and and Long John makes the argument for life without a code. Although the pirates do have a code, he just he's he just exploits it uh, as needed. But he makes he makes a he makes an argument for life at, with freedom, freedom from rules is is the attraction that Long John is is putting before a young Jim Hawkins. And Jim says, "No, I, I belong to a civilization. I belong to a society. People owe things to each other." And in fact, the thing that I like about this is for all of Long John's betrayals and and deceits and mutinies and what have you at the end of the day when he could kill jim he owes something to jim and he can't bring himself to do it yeah jim is proven right and long john is proven wrong and i would say Mm -hmm. I, i i agree with you that's the climax of this movie to get that treasure uh back to england like, like, even they like they still admire his spirit for doing it, but I thought it was strange, Andy. The movie ends with our heroes don't get the treasure. Long John gets the treasure, but it's also a death sentence. What What does that mean? What like What does any of it mean? And maybe that'll make more sense as we go through. But I found the ending just a little, a little off putting. What What do you think? Is that unsatisfying? I actually like the ending a lot because thematically, if we take Dr. Livesey's first words to Jim are, he cares, well, he cares clearly more about Jim's safety than any sort of treasure um, because we get hints all through this film that Jim is the real treasure of this movie. Yeah. And so that final scene where... Long John rows off into the ocean and Jim's standing there. Like they've got their treasure. You've got what you Long John has what he thinks is treasure, and the and the gentlemen have what really the true treasure treasure has been all along. Interestingly, the book does not end this way. Um, no. <laughs> the book ends with with the following. Long John steals a bag of silver. Which, but he doesn't get most of the treasure. The rest of the treasure that gets brought on board, they are in fact bringing back to England. But there is more treasure left on the island. And they make the decision not to go back for it. Jim says, I'm not going back to, I know there's more treasure there. I'm not going back to it. And it's it's sort of like, uh, you know, gr- how the self-destructive nature of greed. Uh, they do get mm-hmm. some money. Uh, and I, I suppose they do. Captain's got to get paid, right? 
you know, (laughs) there was costs in outfitting this expedition. Jim deserves something. He deserves a share. And if his his share is nothing because that's, they they came back with nothing, that, that kind of stinks. But Jim has become disillusioned with the idea of let's go and find treasure. Pirates aren't fun for him anymore. And for me, that, that again is, I'm leaving childhood behind and becoming an adult. Jim, Jim will never again think of pirates as like a fun adventure in the way that Peter Pan will always want a pirate to be in his harbor. Right, right. You bring up um, a different ending, and I had some questions for you um, regarding crafting an adaptation, um, you know, especially from really well-known material. What kinds of things, how do you make a decision as a screenwriter when you're managing source material? Like, how do you know what material to keep and what material should be shelved? It seems like in Treasure Island, they're use, they're choosing, um, they're making choices based on theme. And they've settled on one dramatic question. But I'm just curious, and, and kind of work the source material around that. But I'm just curious as to what you think and how you approach those, that kind of so adaptation. That's a great question. And it is such a complicated question because it, the answer to this changes from what your source material is to source material. Generally speaking, um, there is always in a source material, the thing that attracted people to want to do it in the first place. And anyone who's going to try to adapt Treasure Island and and not keep that thing, in this case, pirate adventure, a kid goes on a pirate adventure. That is, that is done. You you cannot you cannot suddenly make it. There are no children. You cannot suddenly make it that there are no pirates. That's like baked into this. But then you have the decision about hey, there is no way I'm going to fit every second of this book onto the movie. What is important and what is not important? And so much of that, that's where the role of an adapter comes in and says like, hey, which? what are the things that are calling to me? Where can I really hook my story? For me, my way in is always through character. Like, I love pirates. I love pirate adventure. All of that is great. Uh, but what always ho- hooks me into a, into a movie is a unique relationship. And in Treasure Island, if you read the book and don't come away with the fact that the important relationship here is Jim comes to look to a pirate for mentorship. He's got all of these other respectable people in his life and the one who feels most like a mentor to him is the villain of the book. You've 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 missed the gold. That's the treasure. Right, that's right. the treasure of Treasure Island as a novel. <laughs> is this in- right. exciting relationship between the protagonist and antagonist of the story? And mm-hmm. everything, every choice that I would make, uh, other than delivering the thing that I I promised my audience, I promised my audience pirates. Every choice that I make about what goes in and what doesn't go in comes from how do I put it in service to this relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And because of that, my I think this is a great adaptation because I think this movie knows that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think this movie knows that the heart of it is, is this relationship between the two of them. My one quibble about the adaptation here is the removal of any mention of Jim's father. Uh, Jim's father in Treasure Island, and it's been a while since I've read the book, so forgive me, uh, listener, if if I get a detail wrong here. But as I recall, he was a seafaring man who went off on a, on a voyage and did not return. I recall, and this may be an amalgamation of various different Treasure Islands that I've seen and not actually based on the book, but in my mind, I recall that Long John knew Jim's father. Or Captain Smollett knew, knew Jim's father. Uh, one of them did. Uh, and that part of what Jim is doing by going on this adventure is he's got this hope that going on this journey will bring him closer to his father. And I don't mean like he's looking for his father as a character, but, but you know, it is a, it is a reconnection with... It, by going on this journey, he's more like his father. But he doesn't know his father. What kind of man was he? Right. And who am I? And who am I in relationship to who that man is? And, right. and so while mm-hmm. I would say I love the relationship work that happens between Jim and Long John, what we also need to see is the other characters set up as models for paternity that Jim might also be like, who do I want to be when I get older? Uh, and... There just isn't room for it in this movie, and I would make a little yeah. bit more space for it. Yeah, I think they try it with Dr. Livesey. Yeah. To try to ha- have him be the father figure of Jim, because Livesey is sort of a moral compass for this group of... Um, He's the best. Gentlemen. He's the best one of the bunch. Yeah. Squire also puts himself forward as a, I would be a great mentor to you, but... In fact, I, I I don't know that the squire is much better of a mentor than Long John is, right? Oh, I actually think Long John is a better mentor than Squire. I I, I mean, not great, not great choices there. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna learn, no, but if you're gonna learn, you know how to live at how to live in life and how to be somewhat wise, you might you know you might use wisdom the wrong way. But uh, yeah, Squire's kind of a kind of a problem. And maybe we could build up more of a relationship between Captain Smollett. And Jim Hawkins here. And we could get another mm-hmm. model in there and get a final word as to what an ideal parental figure, a uh, paternal parental figure might be. Uh, but this movie doesn't doesn't really get there. And that's the thing. So when we're talking about adaptation, that's the thing we lose. And we almost always lose mm-hmm. something. We almost right. always lose something. Uh, you know, they adapted the seventh Harry Potter book into two movies, and they still lost stuff along the way. Right, 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 it's, right. it's just, you have to make choices. I was thinking, Lord of, the Lord of the Rings is like, like 12 hours long, and they still left things out. It, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the characters. Let's talk about Jim Hawkins um, and Bobby Driscoll, who is just innocent. You want to you, you want to talk about a treasure? What a treasure Walt mm. Disney got by finding Bobby Driscoll. Mm-hmm. He is so great in these movies. And he's he's he got is. this face you just fall in love with him the second he's on the camera. It loves him so much that even without any of the exposition, I can see why. They were like, "You know what? 
Mm-hmm. We're just going to show them Bobby Driscoll, and it doesn't matter what his backstory is. They, we're going to the audience is going to love him immediately, and they're not wrong. Right. Well, the first thing we see with Jim is that he wants to do the right thing. Yeah, he wants to take care of Billy. He's willing to lie for Billy and protect him. He's um, parenting that Billy. Seems like the right thing to. Yes, He's taking responsibility like right for Billy's medical care. Right, right. He's right. twelve. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean he's so good and so sincere. Yes. Yeah. And so what does he do when he gets the map? He takes it to the people he trusts. And he probably takes it to the people his mother trusts because Dr. Livesey says to him, "Well, what would your mother say?" Right? Yeah. About you going on this expedition and I'm concerned for your welfare. And um anyway, he he wants adventure. He seems to want adventure. He believes um, the best in everyone he meets. Yes. Yeah. And that's what gets him in trouble. D- it's his innocence that gets him in trouble. Right. right. He takes people um, at their word. Right. Um, but when he learns the right, when he learns somebody has, you know, when, when Arrow is killed, right, by Long John, and when he learns he was the one who got the rum for the killing of Arrow, right, he immediately switches sides. Sure. He doesn't think about it. He he is he's not um and so I, I think that's interesting. I, and then I think it's also interesting when Dr. Livesey asks him to stay friends with Silver to get information. Now Jim's a double agent, right? Right. The the difference between Jim Hawkins and Long John Silver is Long John Silver says things like, You got the word of Long John Silver, right? But when you have the word of Jim Hawkins, that that's that's meaningful. Yeah, I, I and I th- I think that I think that's an important that's something that he doesn't lose throughout this movie. And so to ask him to be a double agent is a real conflict for him. Yeah, he does. He would rather outright be honest about where his loyalties lie. I think that's mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's true. Um, you know, he really beca- he spends the middle of this movie a child caught up in a man's war. He's 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 just a pawn in this game between the two of them, and he has to find his own agency to navigate through. And I mean, I I think all of that reads. I think all yeah. he feels a responsibility that twelve year olds generally don't feel, and he feels responsibility that the other adults in his life don't feel. So Squire doesn't feel that responsibility. I mean, he doesn't feel the responsibility to to be careful and take care of people and, and whatever. What's Squire doing? He's running around telling everybody exactly what the plan is. Well, see, here's the thing about, here's the thing about Squire Trelawney. Cause I, I think you're being a little unfair when you say he doesn't care. Uh, uh, can we, should, can, can we, can, since it's natural, can <laughs> we talk just, about him? Yeah. Let's just talk about Squire. Squire sure, Trelawney sure. does not think about consequences, which is different from not caring. He more than Jim is a kid approaching let's play a game where we're pirates let's let's go let's mm. go aboard and let's get our ship um and and um let's go have our adventure and come back it's fun for him and he doesn't see that actual lives are on the line if he makes bad decisions he wants well he wants to be important right and he tells everyone where the good fishing hole is he's that guy yeah he, um, he wants to be good at the game, but it isn't right. a game. 
And that's, no. he has more growing up to do than Jim does. But I don't think it's fair to say he doesn't, because there is the scene where he realizes that, it, that, that he has screwed up royally by hiring all of these pirates <laughs> to, be, to be on his ship. Right. And uh, and takes takes responsibility. I would love to see more of also Squire Trelawney through his adventure coming out the other side an adult. I think we get a little bit of it, but but yeah. I mean, I think symbolically, you know, he he's who Jim would be if Jim didn't grow up. Well, when he puts a a gun to John Silver in, in one of those last scenes. He assumes that John Silver is going to respect his gentlemancy, right? That this is how things are and you have to respect me because I'm this guy. Um, and it's in fact, like his, like his moronic actions, like if, if not for them, then this story would never happen, right? His lack of awareness always brings uh, a turning point uh, in this I have always yeah, wondered, I don't want to talk too much about Muppets Treasure <laughs> Island, I have always wondered, as much as I love Fozzie Bear, whether Squire Trelawney was done dirty by having Fozzie in that role. And in fact, this movie makes me realize, perfect casting, uh, Kermit absolutely <laughs> assigned that role to the actor who could bring it to its fullest realization. Uh, well done, Kermit, in your casting decisions. I think it's funny how Squire doesn't trust the captain and he has no idea how dangerous sailing is. Because the captain is an and adult he, and saying adult things. And Long John is mm. being fun and saying fun piratey things. And the squad, who, who do you want to hang out with? Who do you want to drink rum yeah, with? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk about Long John Silver, the guy you want to drink uh, rum with in that brilliant performance by Robert Newton. Uh, he's a con man. He is. The question is, is he a con man with a heart of gold or a heart of silver? Um, you know, uh, that, <laughs> nah. uh, I mean, that, that really is the question. He's a mystery to us a little bit. Uh, mm. I yeah. have to think if you're in the audience, you like Long John and are, and there's a big part oh, of yeah. you pulling for him to, to pull off his con here. Uh, the most interesting thing I think about John is that I really do believe he loves Jim. I, I maybe I'm fooled, I, uh, but but I think he does. Do you disagree, Andy? Well, I think I, I think he grows to love Jim. I think at first he sees Jim as somebody he can manipulate mm -hmm. for his own his. But I think he grows to love Jim. I think he's Jim's foil. You know, they're both tavern keepers. They both both of them lie about knowing Billy Bones. He says things like, you're the spitting image of me when I was your age, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and, and Long John Silver, what he does is he finds and exploits the weaknesses of his enemies. And he knows early on, Jim wants an adventure and Jim wants to be somebody, so he gives Jim a gun. And if you give somebody a gun, you can tell somebody how to use that gun, right? He's constantly lying. He knows that he can get Jim on his side. He's got a buddy, almost a protege. Um. But Long John's word means nothing, and that's something that he didn't count on. He didn't count on Jim turning on. I think Long John, when he meets, I think Long John, when he meets Jim, experiences something that 
uh, he is unprepared for, which is to be loved. Um, mm. when when he, Jim Jim just thinks he's the greatest, and there is something about a child looking at you like you're the greatest that makes you want to be the greatest, right? And right. and want to be the hero in a way in which, I mean, he's not he's not the hero here, but we do see yeah. him through the movie. Like, the, the whole reason his own crew starts mutinying against him is because they think he's too soft on the kid. And right. John has to constantly protect Jim from the other pirates that are under John's command. Uh, because what he's really protecting is this is his last chance to have someone in his life who will love him. Uh, and the tragedy of Long John Silver is at the end of the day, uh, like, while he can't bring himself to kill to 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 kill Jim and spares him, uh, at the end of the day, he still chooses the money, and he'll go off to his death with his right. money. Uh, right, it's appearances, matey. It's appearances. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, he, he it's complicated. He really is. It is complicated and it's layered, and that's what it's great because they keep changing. Everything keeps shifting. This relationship keeps shifting. Does Jim trust him? Does Jim not trust him? And finally, when Jim knows who he is and Long John knows who Jim is, and Long John says, I respect Jim. Yes. He says he respects him. Because he sees a man now and not a boy. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I don't think in the beginning he respects him. He sees him as somebody he can manipulate. I, 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 think, I think you're right. Um, I, I definitely think he sees there, there's a lever to manipulate there. I don't want to, I don't want to romanticize it. Uh, but I think he's surprised at how much he himself is taken with Jim. It's just not something that was part of his calculations, his own feelings. He's used to manipulating other people. He's not used to caring about it. I think that's fair. Let's talk about Dr. Livesey, um, Dennis O'Day's character. That. He's super soft spoken. Yes. He's um he's kind. He's the voice of he reason. The captain. And re- reconciliation yeah. Yeah. and compromise mm-hmm. uh throughout this movie. It is arguably a boring part to have. Everybody else is doing much more fun st- like when you're the character who says like the reasonable thing and everybody agrees, like like you know the more extreme the characters get the get the spotlight, and you're the one who kind of brought right. the conflict to a close. You end the scenes, but you don't get to star in the scenes. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. And he he has a moment where he negotiates with Long John for Jim, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, I think he feels responsible for. He Jim. is totally responsible he's for the one Jim. That has to answer, yeah. That he has to answer to his mother. Right? Doctor Dr. Livesey says to Jim, says, I don't think you should go on this journey. And I don't think your mother will let you go on this journey. And Jim says, if you tell her that, that it's okay, she'll believe you. He, he doesn't think the squire has that power. And, and Captain Smollett right. is a stranger. And I, there, there is a part of me that thinks Dr. Livesey is in some way romantically involved uh, with with uh, Jim's mother, 
uh, and mm-hmm. and is making making right. the argument that he would be a good stepfather for Jim, and mm-hmm. and maybe I want more of that in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it would I think it would help the movie a lot. Uh, create a clear conflict between the Doctor and Cap and Long John, and then when you have this scene which is about like about Jim's life, and Doctor Livesey is like, "This is you trying to get the map," and Long John says. This is not about that. I already have the map. They think I don't have the map. This is about right, you and right. me loving Jim and working to save his life. And for for me, like I would make that the center of the relationship there. I would I would have it be that the two of them recognize in each other that they both love this kid, but they're on opposite sides mm-hmm. of this war. Uh you couldn't do enough with that for me. I Yeah. That would be good. I mean, a battle for who's going to be who's going to be dead. Yeah, is it going to be Long John Silver? Is it going to be Doctor? But Rose? also a recognition that no matter which one of them wins, they know the other one would not harm harm this kid. Like, like I like that. Mm. I like that. That 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 what unites them is their love for the kid. Legitimately love the kid more than the prize. You know? Yeah. Let's talk about some of these ancillary characters, um, which I consider ancillary. I consider those four really Jim, Long John, Squire, and Dr. Livesey to be sort of the core of this movie, just based on how conflict is structured and and how plot gets. I mean, Squire's definitely a plot engine um, that keeps things moving forward. But there are also these great ancillary characters. Um, Billy Bones, what do we think of him? And you've mentioned, we've talked about a little bit that we've, we don't know enough. We don't know maybe. enough, and we don't we don't get to see that he's currently the person that Jim is looking to for paternal guidance, right? Mm-hmm. The old mentor. The relationship between the two. Uh, he's mean to Jim. He's mean. Shoves him out of the way. He's, Jim tries to open up the box, and he shoves him, and but he wants his help. Because but. we don't have an exposition, we don't see who Billy Bones is when he's not afraid for his mm-hmm. life. Um, and I think we could get a startling contrast by seeing Billy portray himself as this great swashbuckling hero. But the second the pirates come, it's I got to run. I got to hide. I got to like like that. We, we see Jim become disillusioned with who Billy actually is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that that I think is one of the things we've lost in this adaptation is a sense of what Billy could be bringing as the first false model of paternity. Um, Captain Smollett. Um, I think Captain Smollett's character is pretty interesting because he's, <laughs> he's the opposite of Squire yes. Trelawney, right? And he's also like Long John Silver's foil or is Long John Silver his foil? They are, they're I definitely mean, there's, foils there's of each of, other in terms of how they run the ship. Yeah. yeah. Right. He he gets immediate respect in the same way that Long John does from the pirates. He's he's a stickler for the rules. He doesn't like secrets. He takes precautions, and that is the opposite of Squire. Well, you could make the Complete you could opposite. make the argument that what we're seeing is uh, Captain Smollett as an authoritarian among his ship, and Long John as a man of the people, the the democratic yes. uh, uh, demagogue, if you will, the the mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the populist. Uh, I th- I think I think we could. I think the movie then posits, though, both forms of leadership are wrong. Uh, Captain Smollett mm-hmm. uh, leads with such a tight hold on the reins 
That is cruel mutinies. Mm -hmm. Okay, they were good. Right. That was always the plan for them. Were, I'm with right. you. They were always, but they do that. they like right. on day one are like, let's mutiny today. And Long John's like, <laughs> I can still see the dock. Right. I mean, like we're we're not far enough along to pull off a mutiny here. Whereas Long John, who pretty much tells the crew what they need to do, um, the, his problem is. You know, once he takes once he takes rain, um, he's constantly questioned by George Merry. Uh, there's someone else who wants his position because Long John got his position in a not upright way. He sets up other worse people to also be ambitious and follow follow him on his right. uh, on the path that Long John's the one who created. Uh, neither right. of them is a good leader. I think. No, I don't, we can talk about George Mary. I mean, I love how he, he there's a mutiny of the mutiny, mm -hmm. right, in this movie. I mean, it's so good. And when when he gives Long John Silver, when they give Long John Silver the black spot. On the Bible page. We think that's, a, we think that's such a big deal because we've seen the black spot before. We know the weight that it carries in pirate world and how scary it is, right? And Long John Silver is not afraid at all. Like, it's like he's not afraid of George Mary. He's not afraid of, and he's constantly watching his back for Mary and protecting Jim from him. Yes. Which I think lends to your, you know, idea about. What emboldens uh, George Mary to mutiny is the bit of human goodness in Long John Silver. Long John is yes. not ruthless enough for Mary's taste. Uh, and mm -hmm. and I I I think if Jim hadn't been on the voyage, Long John would have successfully com not only done the mutiny, kill killed the people because but but no one would have ever questioned Long John. It's Long John's softness towards Jim that makes them think, oh, he's weak. We can overthrow oh, him yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. This is a movie about redemptive love, Andy, isn't it? In a way. <laughs> It really is. I mean, that gets us right into themes, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I mean, redemptive love works here. I mean, this is a coming-of-age story. Um, and again, at the heart of redemptive love, we learn about what treasure really is. Right? This is a movie about growing into adulthood. This is a movie about mm -hmm. what is your code? What kind of man do you want to be? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I, there. The, the theme work on this strong uh this this is a movie yeah. that knows what it's about um i mean there's truth telling versus deceit. yes compromise uh, wisdom. um there's wisdom over foolishness right oh there's 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 nope. so much so there's great. so much stuff here um but again ultimately what draws me to this movie is the redemptive power of love right mm -hmm. long john doesn't undergo a full redemption but he does get a partial one, and it's because of his love of the kid. Right. Found family. There's something about honor. There's yeah, found. There's something about honor too mm -hmm. in this movie, about wh who is honorable and who is. You know, there because we don't consider Squire to be honorable, right? And I'm not even sure I consider Captain Smollett to be honorable. But there's something honorable about Long John Silver. I think Dot the Doctor and, is and honorable. I, uh, Oh, yeah, the doctor is for sure. There's an interesting moment uh, towards the end of this movie that I'm just now unpacking, like just now. Uh -huh. At the end of the movie, Long John wants to give Jim the parrot. 
And yep. why does he want to do that? He wants to do that because he wants to create a lasting bond between him and Jim that will exist beyond the end of the movie. Beyond the end, they're never going to see each other again. And there is just something about Long John that wants that, that wants to know that he gave this gift to Jim and that Jim is thinking of him. And Jim does not take it from Long John. No. Does not take it from him because at the end of the day, that means that Jim is still thinking about becoming Long John. And that 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 you that you can and he like recognizes it as this gift that you're offering me out of love is not something I can accept because it comes with too many strings. And wow, what a great moment, especially it's 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 brilliant. And I don't think I don't think I'm putting something on that moment that isn't there. I think it is fully in the screenwriting of this, that moment, what what this means and what a powerful, powerful, but understated way of hitting home the idea of the thought of this movie. Yeah, and it comes in in. It, remember, the first thing that Long John gives Jim is a gun, mm-hmm. right? And Jim happily takes it. And it came with and strings. It's and it's exciting. Yes, and it came with all these strings. And Jim, it, when he offers him the parrot, who Jim loves and enjoys, right? Jim says, no, I, I don't That's want such that. a great point, Andy. The first gift Long John gave him, in accepting it, Jim was compromised, he can't take more gifts from Long John. He doesn't want to and, be compromised and anymore. How heartbreaking for Long John to offer him this parrot, which comes with no strings, but realize I screwed up this relationship. I should have been giving him love without strings this whole time. Now he can't take it from. Oh, it's so good! It's yeah. so good. And he's like he's like, and I he's like, and I respect him. Right? He says that I respect. Giving him. that parrot is the, the equivalent of a marriage proposal, an engagement ring, and Jim Jim won't take yeah. it. Jim says no. We no. will not always be connected no. the way you want us to always be connected. Oh, I'm getting chills yeah. on that. It's the breakup. That's good. Okay, it's pitch time, Larry. Okay. So given this great novel, and I mean, there's treasure. Gosh, there's been a lot of movie adaptations of Treasure Island. And there's been, um, of course, Treasure Planet and The Muppets Treasure Island. And What would you do with this source material? I think Jim needs to grow up and become an adult. Uh, I think he does become a seafaring man. And I think he has another encounter with Long John. <laughs> I do. Yeah, keep, keep, keep okay. going, keep going. Uh, but I think, I think what has happened over the time where he saw Long John is Long John has done the work to become a better person has really reinvented himself. But Jim is slow to trust him because he, he, he knows with Long John, there's always the con. There's always the con. And the reveal right. ought to be that at the end of this, there is no con. Long John is still crafty, but has put his craftiness into the service of other mm-hmm. people. And Jim is like, I guess you really changed. And Long John says, but Jim... You're the one who changed me. That's what I want as my sequel. Ooh, I like it. I also <laughs> want to do a story where Jim is older and a sea captain. 
But I want him to have a mutinous crew. Ooh. And I want him to come to an old inn in Jamaica where Long John's running a tavern. And that Long John is dying and he gives Jim the map to his buried treasure. <laughs> right. And only so kind of a redo of this. But only this time Jim as an adult wants the treasure more than he wants the adventure. So he's kind of become a Squire Trelawney type character. And I think it takes a young girl who is actually the reveal is she's Long John's daughter. Great. To remind him of his former values. We need some women in this Maybe, movie. <laughs> maybe we pull a page where the girl is pretending to be a boy and there's a reveal. Uh, we, mm-hmm. a, a la Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, well, there was a lot of that going on with those pirates. For sure. Uh, those two lady pirates, right. Um, yeah. I think we could marry our pitches. I think we could. Yes. Uh, I think there's a way to, yeah. to, to way to get everything we want into one. And I think it would be a great movie. So, uh, Disney, if you're listening. <laughs> we, we're we, we are gettable. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what movie are we tackling next week? Oh, you're going to be excited for this one, Andy. I am. I am so we are doing Robin Hood. Now, Yay. viewers. There are a number of different Robin Hood movies on Disney+. Plus. We want the animated yes, movie where Robin Hood is a fox. Yes. If you are seeing yes. human beings, you are watching the wrong movie. We want Robin Hood and Little John, a fox and a big brown bear uh, going through the forest. That's what we, that's what we yes. want. Oh, it'll be fun. Um, and, and Prince John. Who's yes. Awesome. Oh, I love that movie so much. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And if you write us a review, we'd be so pleased. And please, 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 please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6 or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon, matey. Yeah. Arr. Arr.